welcome to PwC IFRS Talks, your source of all things IFRS, technical accounting matters, business issues, current standard setting and regulatory updates. I'm your host, Ruth Preedy. In today's episode, we're going to cover the new leasing standard IFRS 16, and I'm joined by Jay Tartar, who is leading advisory partner in the Netherlands practice, and he's also a leased specialist. So we actually talked about IFRS 16 way back in episode three, and so we're coming back now, it's a little bit further on, and we're going to talk about some of the practical implementation issues you've come across, Jay. So first of all, welcome to the studio. Thanks, Ruth. Very happy to be here. Okay, so let's start at the beginning. We're two, you know, we're into the implementation period. What are some of the accounting hot topics that you've come across in practice? Yes, so there's basically three topics that come up quite often, uh, regardless of the size of the company or the industry of uh, of the company. So the first one is how to determine the lease term. The second one is how to determine the discount rate. And the third one is how to transition to IFRS 16. Okay, so should we go through each in turn? Start, let's start at the top. What about lease term? Yeah, so uh, some of the difficulties with lease term, I guess, is there's a lot of optionalities in contracts. So sometimes there's a, an option to terminate a lease. Sometimes there's an option to renew a lease. Uh, sometimes the lessee has uh, an option or the lessor has an option or both parties have an option to terminate or renew. And in addition to that, there's certain statutory rules out there. So, for example, tenant protection rules that add another layer of complexity because those tenant protection rules create uh, enforceable rights and obligations that it should be considered in determining the lease term. So because of so many different optionalities, uh, that makes it quite difficult for companies to assess what the lease term is. Okay. And has how much has that changed from IS-17? Well, there's a few more words in IFRS 16, but the concept is the same as IS-17. So the lease term is basically the non-cancellable period, plus any options where it is reasonably, reasonably certain those will be exercised by the lessee. I guess the key difference is here, though, that in the past, this was something that was only affecting disclosures. So companies may not have done that in in a very robust manner. And now it's just going to be a very important judgment because whatever the lease term is that a company comes up with, it's going to determine the amount of liabilities that come on balance sheets. So this judgment is just has increased significantly in terms of importance. Yeah, it's not just a disclosure issue now. Now it's actually impacting your balance sheet figures. Okay, really important there. So um, the next thing you said was discount rate. So IFRS 16 requires the use of implicit rate if it's readily determinable um, or otherwise you have an incremental borrowing rate. So sounds straightforward, must be easy. (laughs) I'm guessing it's not. Um, what, What are some of those things that you've come across in practice? Yeah, so in practice, I see quite often companies going for the incremental borrowing rate. And the reason for that is simply because the implicit rate in the lease is not readily determinable for them. I've seen a few instances where companies do use an implicit rate in the lease. And the few situations I've seen so far is situations where the lessor is disclosing to the lessee what what the actual implicit rate is in the lease, or very specifically negotiated transactions between a lessee and lessor where there's full disclosure and there's a due diligence on both sides, etc. And the third uh, situation is intergroup leases. Um, But other than that, I haven't seen um, 
many other situations where the implicit right is being used. I'm sure there's other examples out there, but uh, uh, those are the ones I've seen and think uh, as a result, a lot of companies do end up using the incremental borrowing rate to discount their leases. Okay, so really from your experience so far, we're seeing incremental borrowing rate is um, quite often used. What what are some of the practical challenges with coming up with that? Yeah, so the the ISB here is expecting companies to determine a reasonable discount rate. And, and, And many clients ask me, what is a reasonable approach for determining incremental borrowing rate? Um, I think on the one hand, I see companies trying to go for one discount rate for their entire lease portfolio, which is clearly not reasonable as that's not in line with the standard. Uh, on the other hand, I see companies initially trying to come up with a, with a discount rate for each individual lease where they have thousands of leases. So not just for individually significant leases, but they have thousands of leases. And that is really not practicable. So what I do see work in practice is is companies trying to come up with some type of grouping to limit the amount of discount rates. And the grouping could, for example, be grouping your leased assets in portfolios with reasonably similar characteristics by term, by type of underlying asset, or by country or region. And that could really limit the amount of discount rates, the amount of incremental borrowing rates you have to, to determine and manage to keep things practical. I have seen companies being able to demonstrate that the difference between a discount rate on a, on a portfolio level and a discount rate on a lease-by-lease basis does not really result in a materially different impact on the entity's financial statements. If you do the grouping right, I think what does help in that area is that if you look at discounting of leases, it's, it's, it's about a limited period of time. There's no terminal value involved, so quite often if they do the right grouping, they can demonstrate that the impact of the discount rate on a portfolio level versus an individual lease is not a, does not have a significant impact on an entity's financial statements. Obviously, this is very specific to each company, but if you have thousands of leases, this might be a practical way of keeping the number of discount rates manageable. I think that's a really important balance because we obviously need to be in accordance with the standard. But some of these companies that have got, you know, thousands and thousands of leases, there has to be a practical way of implementing it. And that's, I think, I'm sure where you're getting lots of questions now, just getting that fine balance between the two. One other thing that helps as well, by the way, is that the interest rates are historically low. So yeah. that helps a bit as well. <laughs> So the third thing you said, and probably the, the, one of the things people think of first, or you'd hope they think of first, because it's the you know one of the hurdles that have to overcome is transition. So we're effective first of Jan twenty nineteen, and they've got some decisions in the standard. What what are the ways they could transition? Yeah, so there's basically two ways of how you can transition to the standard: either a full retrospective approach, which means you apply IFRS sixteen as if it always been applied, uh, so you restate in accordance with IS eight, and you would restate your comparative numbers. So if you would apply the standard as of the 1st of January 2019, you would restate your comparatives in the year 2018. The other alternative is a cumulative catch-up approach where you do not adjust your comparative period, but you basically recognize the cumulative effect of applying the standard in, in, retail, in retail earnings at the date of initial application, in this case being 1 January 2019. So those are the two approaches you can take. And within the cumulative catch-up approach, there's also an option to practical expedient to measure the right-of-use asset uh, in a simplified manner, if you, where you can measure the right-of-use asset at the same amount as the lease liability uh, at initial application date. And this one is quite an interesting one that I see being applied quite a lot in practice, particularly to low-value, high-volume leases, which is also what the board had intended or the ISP has intended by allowing the selection, because companies are kind of 
you could apply this simplified approach to right of use asset on lease by lease basis. So uh, companies are trying to apply that to, to, to a certain portfolio of their leases, being the low value, high volume ones, and then the, the high value ones and low volume uh, leases, they do go back and, and retrospectively measure the right of use asset under the, under the cumulative catch-up approach. Okay, so actually even in that cumulative catch-up approach, you can look at the measurement. You can either take the expedient or you can choose to do the normal measurement. Okay, that's helpful. And I think that, you know, the simplified method here, you called it cumulative catch-up. We've seen that in IFRS 15 and IFRS 9, a similar, you know, this thing, so you don't need to restate your comparatives. From discussions you've already had with clients, are you seeing a trend in which one they're going for? And what are the implications? How do, how do you make that decision if you've not made it yet? Yeah. Well, the trend that's clearly evolving is that majority of the companies out there are going for the cumulative catch-up approach, not the full retrospective approach. There's a few companies out there that are going for the full retrospective approach. And I guess the reason behind that popularity of the cumulative catch-up approach is really the amount of work that's involved in doing the full retrospective approach. Uh, that really requires a lot of effort. You need a lot of historical data to, to, to restate under IFRS 16. It does give you the best outcome in terms of financial impact and the, the, the lease expense post-transition, but it's really a lot of work to get that done. I think a lot of companies are not willing to do the effort or simply don't have the data to do full retrospective, so they simply go for the modified retrospective or the sort of cumulative catch-up approach. But I think within that cumulative catch-up approach, there's this option of simplified right of use asset uh, at the same amount as lease liability. And I do see a lot of companies taking advantage of that element to at least limit the, the, the impact uh, on the total lease expense post-transition. Uh, because if you take the, 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 the cumulative catch-up approach with a simplified right of use asset, you really get the maximum front-loading of expenses post-transition. You get an inconsistent accounting for your leases for potentially a very long period into the future. If you have an average lease term uh, post-transition of six, seven, eight years, then that inconsistency in how you account for your leases could go on for quite a while. Okay. Well, so definitely some things to think about, but, you know, a positive thing there that in the standard, there are some things that make it easier to transition. One of the things from when I'm speaking to my clients about IFRS 16, it's not necessarily the debits and credits. I know there's lots of judgment there and it's really challenging, but it's more like the enormity of the project that it's going to be just to, you know, identify all these leases and the practical challenges. Can you give us anything, you know, for people that haven't started their implementation project yet that won the challenges, but also what, what they need to do? Yeah. So always kind of describe this in three areas, which I think are the biggest uh, challenges with IFRS, implementing IFRS 16. One is the accounting, getting the accounting right with all the judgments, etc. The other big piece is, is data management. So inherently with leases, you have to deal with large volumes of data. And you have to bear in mind, this, these leases have always been off balance sheets. So they've never been on the radar screen of finance or the accounting reporting folks. So just getting clarity on the full population of leases out there, getting all the relevant data points collected and validated with the right data quality so that you can do your on-balance sheet accounting is an enormous effort, is very time-consuming because there's a lot of manual uh, work involved. There's a few things you can do with technology solutions, but 
it nonetheless requires a lot of manual effort and coordination across the organization, particularly if you're a large international company in so many different countries, dealing with different languages, different people, etc. Uh, so the data piece is, is a very big chunk of the work around implementing IFRS 16. The third element is the systems side, the systems process and control side, where basically most companies will need some type of lease accounting tool to be able to do the on-balance sheet accounting going forward. And that requires selecting and implementing a fit-for-purpose lease accounting tool. And what is important there is that companies really kind of carefully look at their current state around lease management and the current state around reporting to really define how their future state design should look like, both from a lease management perspective, a lease accounting perspective, and a reporting perspective to then select the right fit-for-purpose solution to meet those needs. So those are kind of the three areas that create the, the, the largest amount of challenges and, and, and the largest amount of work in practice trying to implement IFRS 16. Yeah, so it sounds easy then. <laughs> Not so much. So, what are some of the you you know you've been involved in this from from the get go in IFRS sixteen? What are what are the some of, some of the lessons you, you've already seen learn in practice? Yeah, well, an obvious one is start early. Yeah. That might be a little bit too late by now. <laughs> no, there's really a lot of work involved, and there's certain things you cannot do in parallel. You have to do in sequence. So, starting early is very important. Getting a lot of people aligned, getting all the stakeholders on board getting the buy-in from the people you need within your organization is really quite a big effort so a lot of people initially think well this is an accounting change so let the accounting reporting folks deal with this but then they start to realize the the issue with the data they start to realize the issue with the it side and what they need to do to yeah to really be compliant with this standard and then they realize uh, the amount of effort involved. So starting early is very important. Understanding your lease portfolio is also quite key because different companies have different types of assets they lease. They have different volumes. They're in different locations. So really understanding the, the, the nature and location of your leases is very important to come up with a right approach of how to manage the data issue, if you will. So some companies are very lucky because if they kind of look at their lease portfolio, they realize that just with a couple of hundred contracts, they already covered 90% or 95% of their lease liability, which is great because then you, take, you can take a bit of a targeted approach to that. Unfortunately, there's also companies out there that have quite similar uh, leases with high volume. So you can have thousands of largely comparable leases in terms of value where such an approach doesn't work and that means you need to do quite a bit of work. So understanding your lease portfolio is, is important in a number of areas, also in the accounting side to make sure you make the right judgments, that you're linking with the business because some of these judgments will require collaboration with the business, understanding where what are some of the economic incentives, for example, around the lease term judgment might be. That's not something that the accounting reporting folks can, can determine on their own. So the point I mentioned before already is data is a lot of work. Uh, and I want to re-emphasize that. That's really one of the key lessons learned. That's been oh, underestimated in almost every project we've done. It always turns out to be more work than we thought initially. The other element I would like to raise is significant impact on people, processes, and systems, because a lot of the lease accounting tools out there are clearly not plug-and-play. Some of them are not even ready to handle the lease accounting complexities of some of some of our clients' arrangements. So there's quite a bit of work to do in terms of integrating that lease accounting solution within the client's IT environment and to configure that solution to actually be able to handle some of the specific use cases that our clients have around 
leases, uh, but it's not about just the lease accounting tool itself because there's processes affected around it, there's controls affected around it, and maybe controls have to be designed that weren't there before to make sure that you can produce reliable financial reporting when it comes to leases. So a lot of effort goes into that. So that's uh, something that should be on the radar screen uh, from the start of, of each project. And then uh, making sure you manage all the stakeholders within your organization and at some point also the stakeholders outside of the organization because investors are going to start showing interest into this standard relatively soon. Uh, so you need to start preparing the uh, investors also in terms of what the impact is of IFRS 16. You scared me, Jay. And I haven't even got a company with leases that I need to worry yeah. about. But I think, you know, one of the, the the key takeaways for me today, we always say this, like you should have already started, but 15 and 9 now, I, I think people have been focusing on them and now they're underway. It's turn your attention to 16, especially, you know, if you're a company that does have lots of leases. So we're coming to the end of our 20 minutes. Parting thoughts. If I'm preparing financial statements now, what do I need to think about? Yeah, one uh, important element comes back to what I mentioned around investors. So if you look at, for example, some of the regulators out there like the ESMA, they've recently issued the enforcement priorities for the 2017 yep. annual financial statements. And one of the, the key enforcement priorities in there was the disclosures around expected impact of, of new standards, including IFRS 16. Uh, to be honest, so far, these disclosures have been fairly poor. They've been somewhat boilerplate uh, so uh, the regulators do expect companies to to kind of step up their disclosures in, in this area and really provide some meaningful uh, disclosures around the expected impact of, of IFRS 16 uh, and I think with leases compared to maybe some of the other standards like IFRS 9 or 15 there is already in a disclosure in the back of the financial statement of the off-balance sheet lease commitment so naturally investors yeah. will look at that to get a sense of the, the impact or the expected impact of IFRS 16 on a company uh, and it's also one thing that the ESMA mentioned in their enforcement priorities as well that they do expect investors to look at that disclosure so with that in mind I think it's going to be very important for companies for 2017 to make sure that that disclosure is as complete as possible come down to the population of leases as well as making the right judgment around lease term and this is the time to get it right because next year it's going to be quite difficult yeah, to explain a big gap between what, what, what has been disclosed historically versus what comes on balance sheet. Okay, brilliant tips there from you, Jay. Thank you very much. So that brings us to the end of our 20 minutes. I feel like we could talk about IFRS 16 for a whole day. We'll have to have you back, Jay. To... I, <laughs> I know, we'll have you back again in six months with even more things that we can worry about in the world of IFRS 16. But thank you so much for listening to PwC IFRS Talks. Uh, I'm your host, Ruth Preedy. Today we talked about IFRS 16. There's lots of information on our website. You can find it at pwc.com forward slash IFRS. Happy accounting. The preceding programme was brought to you by PricewaterhouseCoopers LLP. This content is for general information purposes and is not a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.